The real villain in this movie is not Ronan. The real villain in this movie is loneliness. And I will leave that on the table for you to discuss as well. Hello, fellow geeks. This is Jay Shear, host of the Story Geeks podcast and co-founder of the Reclamation Society. As a writer, storytelling is a big deal to me. I love exploring my favorite sci-fi, fantasy, and comic book stories, really diving deep into them to expose the important themes that shape our culture. On today's Story Geeks podcast, Daryl Smith, our other host, leads Justin Weaver and I in a deep discussion about my favorite Marvel movie yet, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. I know what you're thinking, what happened to the Star Wars series? Don't worry, we're jumping right back into the Star Wars series next week, so make sure you subscribe. You do not want to miss one of our upcoming podcasts. In the meantime, I hope you guys enjoy this deep dive into Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Story Geeks podcast. I'm Daryl Smith. I'll be your host today. And today we are talking about Guardians of the Galaxy, which I kind of can't believe we didn't get to before now. But now's a good time because at least as we record this, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is just one week away from coming out. So uh, let me introduce our guest today. Our guest is a returning guest today. My first returning guest, it's Mr. Justin Weaver. Hello again. Hello again. Justin was with us for our Serenity podcast, which was my first shot at hosting. So thanks for tolerating that and being willing to come back. Absolutely. I only do podcasts on movies about spaceships with an unlikely group of heroes that somehow band together for the greater good. I was going to so, say. So this fit into my very narrow working category. I was going to say, can't you just use your notes from the Serenity podcast? Shoot, I could have. <laughs> Justin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Refresh the memory of our listeners here. Yes, my name is Justin Weaver, not to be confused with the pop artist that shares a similar name. Um, I work at Disneyland, and so over there we're getting super excited about Guardians of the Galaxy 2 because we have the Summer of Heroes starting in less than a month and the new Guardians of the Galaxy attraction opening in Disney California Adventure, so my life kind of revolves around this franchise right now. Um, I have a master's degree in theology. I started to get a degree in film, but went away from it, but I'm kind of coming back to it now and just kind of trying to figure out how to work um, in the entertainment industry and incorporate my faith and values and approach to leadership into that. So I'm just having way too much fun being at Disneyland, and <laughs> I love being here with you guys talking about things like this. Okay, well, hey, since Justin said you guys, we have a little surprise on this podcast. Um Many of you know Mr. Jay Shear, who is the real host of the Story Geeks podcast and the guy who started it. What you may not know about Jay is Guardians of the Galaxy is his favorite Marvel movie. And when I told him that I was going to do a podcast on it, he threatened to fire me and never let me do anything again unless he got to participate. So, Jay, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. I I, uh, I did not threaten to fire Daryl, but I was I was very excited when he asked me to be on the podcast with him because he said he said, "Can we do Guardians of the Galaxy?" I said, "Of course you can. That's an amazing movie to do." And being that it's my favorite Marvel movie, that was uh, it made sense. I was able to do it, and here you are. Yeah. So we got a trio today, which is going to be really fun. So let's dive in. Let's talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. As always, we start off with our spoiler-free rating section. So, um, Jay, why don't we start with you, since 
this movie is your baby. <laughs> Why don't you give us, on a scale of 1 to 10, your quality rating for Guardians of the Galaxy? So, scale of 1 to 10, quality rating. Uh, easily a 10 out of 10 for me, um, from a quality perspective. And I think, I was reflecting on this, it is quite possibly the most well-balanced movie that I have ever seen. From a standpoint of comedy, well-balanced movie, not just superhero movie, not just no, not just superhero movie. No, it's on it's on the level of now. This, I still prefer <clears throat> this movie to Guardians of the Galaxy, but better than Twilight. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, it's just just a notch though. Yeah, just, just a notch. notch. Um, but no, it's on the level of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Is in terms of balance. I mean, you have the comedy, you have the emotional impact. The special effects are ridiculously good. Um, character development's awesome. It's reminiscent, in my mind, of many of the 1980s Steven Spielberg movies. Yeah. With that, with the balance that he adds to that, but just done in a modern way, and I think it's just fantastic. So yeah, definitely favorite Marvel movie in top five uh, comic book movies, for sure. Uh, ten out of ten. Yeah, absolutely. Justin, what do you think? I also gave this a ten out of ten. I think it is a beautifully colored movie. I love the soundtrack of this movie. I think that Marvel invested a lot of money into it when it wasn't a known quantity. No one knew who the Guardians of the Galaxy were. They didn't have Iron Man in this movie. So I think it was a really big risk for them that just paid off so well on expanding the MCU, but also starting its own little franchise on the side. Um, and then having someone like the writer-director James Gunn at the helm is just a weird choice that is just, you know, wonderful. So I, yeah, I gave it a 10 out of 10. Cool. I guess I'll be the slight naysayer here. Uh-oh. Not, not really. <laughs> not really. I'm giving it a 9. Okay. So, and the reason I'm knocking it down to a 9, um, I love the emotional connection in this movie. One of the things I love about doing this podcast is when I go back and watch these movies again... Mm-hmm trying to think about them critically, like you just get so much more out of it and you realize how good these movies are. Mm-hmm. Not, that, not that I don't watch critically when I see them to begin with, but I don't know. I, movies about, are about escapism for me, so I just try to go and get engulfed in it. But to come back and think about it like this is awesome. And this one really hit me because I've always loved this movie, but I've often thought of it as, you know, it's the goofy Marvel movie um, with a little bit of heart to it. But when I really examined it, it's got a ton of heart. It's probably got more heart than any of the movies in the Marvel Universe. But what it also has, and I'll expand on this later, (laughs) is probably the worst villain in the Marvel Cinematic Uh, Universe, which for me knocks it down a big deal because if you're going to have a superhero movie, I feel like your villain needs to be as compelling as your hero does. And I don't get that from Ronan at all. Hmm. But we'll dive into that more later. Um... Okay, Justin, on a scale of 1 to 10, how would you rate story depth? Um, I gave this an 8. I, if you had said story breadth, I probably would have given it a 10, <laughs> because it's a huge story. It's introducing a whole part of the galaxy that we don't know. It's incorporating Thanos more. You're in different planets and systems, and different alien races are being introduced, so there's tons happening. But because it is an ensemble piece, I feel like, and you're also getting introduced to all these characters, you don't get to go super deep into any of them. You just get to go a little deep into all of them. So I gave it an 8, 
And we can talk more about that when I can talk more about everything and give spoilers. <laughs> Jay, what about you? You know, I wrestled with this one because I was, I was like, it doesn't feel like a nine. I still gave it a nine out of ten, but I, I agree with with Justin. He's right. There's some. There's some. Some of it is lacking depth. I think in relationships and a little bit in emotional depth, it does really well. But in a lot of these movies, we're lacking spiritual depth, and it almost is like so much lacking that it's glaring in some mm. in some respects. Mm. So that's the only thing I would say. Like, it's definitely not as deep as a Nolan film, but um, but it has some depth. It ha- it, 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 so I gave it a nine, but I can see I can see why it would go down to an eight for for people too. Cool. And by the way, that satisfies your requirement of mentioning Nolan anytime you and I talk on a podcast. You're, <laughs> yeah, how are we going to work Batman into you're this good. podcast? You, you don't have to bring him up again. So. <laughs> and also, Joss Whedon. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That's right. We've got it all covered. <laughs> um, yeah, I gave it a nine. I agree. I think um, the depth is a little bit, It's like Justin said, it's more spread out, not too heavy on any individual character. And again, the villain is a problem for me here because... I think part of story depth comes from the motivation of why the characters are doing what they're doing, and I don't feel like Ronan has any motivation other than being a giant tool. <laughs> um, so let's talk likelihood to refer to somebody else. I feel like I know how this is going to go, but Jay, what do you think? Oh, ten. I, I would refer this movie to anybody. Um, if you haven't seen it, go see it. There's, I feel like there's two types of movies, right? There's um, what I would call the quintessential good time movie, uh, feel good movie, blockbuster, and then there's what I would call more films. And films are trying to say something about the world and, and like really have like it's almost more art than it is like entertainment in a way. Mm. And so I, I'd say like no one's movies fit into the latter category, but this is one of the best examples of your quintessential feel good blockbuster that I can even think of. So mm. it, that means it's gonna pretty much strike everybody, I think. From in some way, shape, or form is being entertaining, and they should go, go see it. Um, the only other thing I'd add to that is that I think what James Gunn was able to do with this film is what Zack Snyder has been attempting to do with his films. Mm. He's trying to put it like a foot in each category, <laughs> but like that, like this is where he nails it. Where where I think Zack Snyder misses a little bit. Justin just had this look on his face as if you just kicked my puppy by <laughs> by knocking <laughs> Zack Snyder. I don't have that much love for Zack Snyder. I have love for DC Comics. I'm looking forward to somebody else getting a hold of these. Um, Justin, what about your rating? I gave it a 10 out of 10. If someone asked me to define, describe this movie in one word, I would probably just say fun. It is a fun movie. But if I were thinking harder and given just a tiny bit more time, I would have said awesome. And that applies in a lot of different ways. So, yeah, I 10 out of 10. I love this movie. I have yet to meet someone that strongly dislikes this movie or anything like that. Yeah, I agree. I gave it a 10, too. There's just, it's fun. It has heart to it. It's visually exciting. Like, there's, there's no good reason not to watch a movie like this. Star Wars fans, we are giving away two very special Star Wars prizes to Reclamation Society email subscribers. If you subscribe to the Reclamation Society's email updates, 
you are entered to win the Art of Rogue One. But thanks to a special donation from Daryl Smith, who is also one of the other hosts of the Story Geeks podcast, we have a second prize, a never-before-watched copy of The Phantom Menace on VHS. That means we have two super cool collector's items, and all you have to do is subscribe to our email updates. Which, by the way, you should do anyways. So, go visit www.reclamationsociety.org, and you can enter to win there. The link is in the show notes, so go subscribe now! So, now let's move into some spoiler territory here. Let's talk about the deeper themes of this movie. This is the part where you guys can just talk about everything, spoil anything you want. So, listeners, if you have not yet seen Guardians of the Galaxy for some crazy reason, now's the time to go watch it and then come back and listen to this. So, my first question has to do with characters. You know, Peter Quill is kind of the most normal, Chris Pratt's character. He's at least human. Right. Partly, half human, right? But you look at the other characters and they're all kind of insane. You've got Gamora, who is known as the deadliest woman in the universe. Um, she's an alien. You've got Drax, who is like some sort of alien pro wrestler hybrid kind of guy. Steroid infused DNA. Yeah. So, and by the way, Gamora is played by Zoe Saldana. Drax is played by Dave Bautista. You have a talking raccoon. Rocket Raccoon, voiced by Bradley Cooper. And then you have an anthropomorphic tree, <laughs> which is Groot, uh, Vin Diesel's character. So these are a bunch of weird characters, not to mention all the other villains and stuff like that. Yet, they are all really relatable, and they're characters you can really wrap your head around. So my question for you guys is, with all these wackos in this movie, who do you find yourself relating to the most? Um, and Justin, why don't we start with you? As far as motivation goes, Drax is the one that I relate to the most. Okay. His story of just is coming from a primal place of he killed my wife, he killed my daughter, I'm going to get him. And I totally get that. And he's not a very emotional guy, but the few times that emotions come out, it totally hits me. And so just his story resonates with me the most. I don't relate to him so much in physical presence, um, <laughs> and I do. often wear a shirt and very rarely carry knives. So <laughs> it, it's very much limited to just his backstory and motivation really um, connects with me, not even because of my history or anything, but it's But just... you do have a network of red tattoos all over your upper body. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I thought, didn't all your listeners know that already? Yeah, sorry. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, what about you? The most interesting interesting thing about this is that I actually found myself thinking I could find myself in a little bit of every single character, yeah. which just shows that they're really well-rounded characters, right? Um, but since I have to answer the question and not <laughs> kind of get out of it, uh, I said 50% Rocket, okay? And I think it's because he does plan. He, he does plan. He's very intentional about things. Um, and I think that his... Crazy cynicism is what I would become if I gave up on the world, right? And I feel like that's so I would I would be kind of prone to that. I'd say thirty percent quill. Oh my gosh! Yeah, I know. You're gonna get them all in there. I had to break it down. No, no, no. I'm not gonna get them all in there. There's three. There's just three of them. Thirty percent quill. um, But he's far too irresponsible because I'm not that irresponsible, so I can't say that. But he does like to stay lighthearted and positive, which I think is cool. 
And then twenty percent day, who you did not mention. Day? Yeah, he's the he's the uh uh Is that What's the guy's name? Not John everybody. C. I don't think everybody's a Oh no, John C. Riley. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, yeah. Okay. I just thought that guy was really funny. He was, but he he had a job to do. He did not shy away from doing the job. He was yeah. dedicated to it without taking it too serious. So fifty percent rocket, thirty percent quill, twenty percent day. Okay. <laughs> Your rocket day quill. So you could, you can cure the cold too. That's right. Um, I when I was talking about this question with my wife. She's like, let me guess, let me guess. You relate to Groot. And I'm like, I took that as a huge compliment because, first of all, that's wrong. I don't feel like I relate to Groot. But secondly, I think Groot is the least flawed of all the characters in this movie. And the most giving. Like, yeah, Groot is is the example of compassion and friendship and love and self-sacrifice and, you know... That was a huge compliment. So no, I do not relate to Groot. <laughs> um, I would actually go with Rocket. Um, and part of that is because I think a lot of what drives these characters is the loss they've experienced. And Rocket doesn't understand that, at least not in the beginning of the movie. Rocket is more about, I don't know what I am. I'm a freak. Everybody thinks I'm a freak. Nobody takes me seriously. Nobody understands me. So and I can relate more to that mm. than I can kind of having to overcome a huge loss because I haven't really gone through that yet. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it's coming, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, speaking of the concept of loss, let's move on to our next question here. Um, a lot of these characters have suffered a loss in their life, a loss of a loved one, a loss of family, and that's kind of what brings them together, you know. Um, Quill obviously loses his mother at the beginning of the movie, which has got to be one of the most heartbreaking moments I've ever seen in a superhero movie. In this weird, like, quirky (laughs) movie with all these weird characters and stuff like that. It's just heartbreaking. Um, And then, you know, Drax, his wife and daughter were killed by Ronan. Um, Gamora's parents were killed when she was a little kid, and she's been raised as a weapon by Thanos. So this idea of loss is kind of what brings them together and this desire for family. Um, So my question would be, how does the void from a lost loved one shape us? And um, how can we seek hope beyond that suffering? Um, Jay, let's start with you on this one. Yeah, I apologize if this is long-winded, but but I love this question. I think it's a fantastic question. It's a question that like the Reclamation Society is sort of built off, and so, so, so is this podcast. And So I appreciate you asking it, and just for the sense of uh, context, um, my mom had cancer when I was 12, 13 years old. Um, really bad cancer. Like she was, I would say she was on the brink of death a couple times. She went into remission for 17 years, um, and then she didn't pass away until 2012. So I'm very familiar with thinking about this, right. <laughs> if you will. Um, and I think... You know, when things happen in our lives that are out of our control, I think that those moments, out of all the moments we experience, have the biggest impact impact on shaping our lives. And so I think that in my life, um, and in the lives of these characters as well, the loss of a loved one or loved ones is really staggering because um, I know for myself, at no other time have I been shaken as much as I was when I lost my mom, or, or even back in the day, when I was thinking about losing my mom. Right. And, uh, I mean, all we know is, is life. 
That is all we know. We don't know anything beyond life. And everything we do, everything our bodies are focused on doing is living, right? Like that is, that is our, the goal of our body is to continue living. So, and it sounds so stupid to say that, but think of how often you take that for granted, mm-hmm. right? And um, your body wants to keep living so much so that like you are uh, hangry. You're hungry and angry if you don't have food, right? Like it's just, it's just like those small things really, really shape us. And I think that what we can start to do is we can start to see death uh, as the ultimate evil because it feels like the ultimate evil. Our, we're so prone to want to live that death can start to feel like the ultimate evil. And when you're confronted with death, it forces you to reconsider everything that you know. Um, because, and I always say, spoiler alert, <laughs> you're going to die. <laughs> right? Like, every single one of us is going to die. Everyone around you is going to die. And if death is the ultimate evil, then all of our stories end, end in tragedy. Yeah. If, if death is the ultimate evil, all of our stories end in tragedy. And I think that that means the death of loved ones is a catalyst for us to consider the very nature of life itself. Why are we here? What are we supposed to do with our time on earth? What does it mean to live? And I think um, where I find hope is in the realization that death is not the ultimate evil. And so taking myself out of that um, framework and saying, like, death is not the ultimate evil. I do believe that it is an evil thing, but it is not the ultimate evil. And it can't be. Um, because I don't think that death is the end of everything. Mm-hmm. So that's where I find hope, is that if I consider that death is not the end, that there is something beyond mortality, then I think that mortality actually means something more, and that I can find hope in whatever is um, beyond. And, I, and I'm not pretending that that's um, easy to say. So even as I say it, like it's so hard to say, because we fight against that. I think we fight against that, like, no, death is evil, it's ultimate evil, like I just want to live. Yeah. And I think uh, that if death were the ultimate evil, really all we would ever experience is despair. We would never experience hope, except in really like inconsequential things. Um, but in my mind, I put my hope in, in, in something that has conquered death. Because if something it hasn't conquered death, then I think that's just false hope. And it's a really cruel joke to put your hope in something that hasn't conquered death. Right? Yeah. Like if my hope is Justin, you talked about working at Disneyland, and I love Disneyland. And if I were if I was to go, uh, my hope is in Disneyland, how bad is that? I have to be able to afford it. Um, if I can't afford it, if I can't be able to make it to the parks, all my hope is gone. I mean, that's just a really cruel joke. Um, so and, and not to mention, like you were saying, Walt Disney died. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, do the do the characters experience that? Do they experience it the same way that I experienced it? I mean, I think to a certain extent they do because at the very end of this film, they're willing to sacrifice their own lives to defeat Ronan, mm-hmm. which I think speaks to a little bit of them saying, like, death is not the ultimate evil, and um, we have to do something about this evil that we're facing. But I think they could probably go a little further than that, too, because we don't dive into what's going to happen to them if they die, right? Like, we don't even touch that. But, uh, so I apologize for the long-winded answer, but I love the question, so it's like, oh, I'm going to dive in. No, the, the answer is why I wanted to ask you the question. But, um, and really quickly, uh, before we go to Justin on this one, let me just say, you guys listening, the rest of Jay's story, and what we would call the origin story of the Reclamation Society, is worth your time. It's encouraging, and it's good to hear. And if you go to our podcast feed... And search for the podcast called Special Edition, Why We Started the Reclamation Society. You can hear the rest of it. Do that. It's worth it. Justin, what do you think on this question? 
the way that I took this question was much more looking at what the characters are doing with their life now. One of my favorite psychological profiles or way of, ways of thinking about um, how people are is attachment theory. And when you are a kid, your family teaches you how to attach to people. So just looking at Peter Quill, he has a dad that isn't present and a mom that dies at a really psychologically important age of, you know, 10 or 12 or whenever that was. And so he's left with a relational hole in his life. And so one of the story arcs that goes across the entire movie is learning how to reach out to another person. We see it kind of metaphorically with him reaching out to his mom at the very end, but then very uh, tangibly reaching out to Gamora for help and assistance, which is something that he wouldn't have been able to do. So loss um, hurts, loss limits us. But I think one thing that I love about this movie is that it says that loss isn't damning. Loss isn't mm. the end. Loss can be overcome. Loss can be grown through. Um, and uh, just even the impact that we can have on each other. So the things that we only see his mom for a couple minutes, but the couple minutes that we see her really sets up who Peter Quill is. She yeah. talks about, oh, you're getting in fights? Well, yeah, I'm, someone killed a frog and I had to stand up for them. And that is who Peter Quill is. He's a protector, he's a defender, um, he's a guardian. And um, his mother praises him for that. And, you know, we don't know until the very end where his nickname Star-Lord comes from, but it's, it's from yeah, his mom. Right. So his mom tells him so much of who he is. And even though he has lost her, we see just through who he is, through what he does, that um, her impact hasn't been lost. And she is still very present, not only in the awesome mix that he carries around, but in his heart and just in who he is and yeah. who she made him to be. Yeah. For me, um, as I mentioned before, I haven't experienced... I mean, I've experienced loss. I lost my grandmother several years ago, which hurt. I love my grandmother. And I've lost all my other grandparents, but I've never lost an immediate family member. So I can't pretend to know what that feels like. Um, my wife has, though. My wife's dad passed away when she was 16. And so, in a way, I feel that void. Like, I'll never have the opportunity to have a father-in-law. Um, my sons will never meet their grandfather. You know, until, God willing, we all get to heaven. But um, I feel that void. I obviously don't feel it the way she feels it. I'll never feel it on that level. But I can see it. So, obviously people are shaped that way and she is partly who she is because of having gone through this and having grown closer to her mom and her brother as a result of it um so yeah that's my perspective on it um and also i agree with, with what you said jay about hope is your hope has to be in something that is stronger than death mm -hmm. which for me is jesus christ we just celebrated easter which celebrates him conquering death um, so I'm with you on that one. So let's move on to the next question here, which is centered around community. Um, 
So it's this, it's this desire for community and belonging that sort of holds the guardians together once they get together. Um, and it's really what kind of makes them care about each other. Whereas if you look at the villains, like Thanos, Ronan, Nebula, they don't have any regard for everybody around them. They could care less about community. It looks like that might change for Nebula in the next movie. We'll see. But um, they certainly don't exhibit that in this film. And so what do you guys think is the relationship between community and being good, quote-unquote? Because our heroes are, quote-unquote, the good characters in this movie, right? Mm. So... What do you think that relationship looks like? Do we need other people to help us grow? So, Justin, let's start with you on this one. So, I had two thoughts. Just one was just simply in growing community. I like how the Guardians kind of do the uh, shoulder-to-shoulder thing where they're working on a common mission. And at the beginning, it's very selfish. It's just, hey, let's go get money. Let's turn in this orb and let's go do that. So, they start being a community not because they care about each other but just because they all share common purpose and that sets them on their journey but then as the common purpose begins to evolve to you know we need to make sure that this doesn't fall into the wrong hands we need to protect them then we start to see some of the going from shoulder to shoulder to face to face and them seeing each other and getting to know each other and so that was just a little tidbit of uh, making friends that some wise person gave me uh, a long time ago that if I set out to make friends it hardly ever happens but if you set out to go do something mm-hmm. you'll find friends there because you'll find like-minded people um, and then uh, I think you absolutely need to be in community to be good and to grow uh, people serve as mirrors and the closer you allow someone else to get to you the more accurately you will see yourself because you will see what brings joy to that other person. You'll see what brings frustration to that other person. So marriage is a mirror that sometimes it's super inconvenient to be married because you find out more about yourself than you would like, but it's so good because I wouldn't know those things about myself if I hadn't married Kim. I uh, went through a study of personality types a while back And at first I thought it would be so easy if everyone had my personality type. We would just all get along and it would be great. But then I began to realize none of us would do our homework. We wouldn't pay our bills on time (laughs) and there would just be all kinds of problems. So I think being in community uh, allows you to see strengths and weaknesses, not only in yourself, but in others. And that that is all for the greater good. It can help you and everyone else around you grow. Yeah. Jay? I think that's a fantastic answer. Um, the, the other thing that I had in here too was just, I think community does kind of two essential things on, on top of what um, you're talking about. One is that it provides accountability, right? So when we see the char- these characters need accountability, um, each of them has a moment where they kind of go off the rails, so to speak. So like Drax calls Ronan, right? Like he calls yeah. Ronan to the planet <laughs> to, to fight him. And the rest of the characters are like, what is wrong with you, right? But they ultimately forgive him as well. So they yeah. hold him accountable, but then they forgive him. Um, one of the cool things uh, that I like too is just that, I mean, you said this, like allows us to see a mirror for ourselves, but it also gives us some perspective that isn't our own, which I think is really cool too. Um, because it can give us perspectives that we may not have already. So I think, I think that that's, yeah, that's great. 
Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I think when we think about good, quote-unquote good, I'm putting my fingers up in the air. I know that doesn't do our listeners any good whatsoever. But when I think about good, I think about the ultimate good sort of being found in loving people. So I don't see how good can fully exist without community. Um, and like you were saying, Justin, we learn so much from other people. You talked about marriage. I can tell you from experience that another one you learn from is parenthood. <laughs> you know, being in community with these little kids that you have to raise up and train. That teaches you a lot about yourself, too. Yeah, I think it's essential. I think we do need other people to help us grow. Um, I don't think that's the only way that we can grow, but it's maybe the most effective way. And then, Justin, you said something that sort of leads into our next question here, um, which is this idea of seeking community with people that are different from you. So look at the Guardians. If you put any two of them together, that's a weird friendship. <laughs> you would never, yeah, you would never do that. I mean, Justin's holding up a picture of Rocket and Groot, which oddly is the one that kind of makes the most sense because they're both sort of freaks, right? <laughs> but, but like, <clears throat> you know, Drax. Drax's relationship with Peter is hilarious because he's this ultra-literal bruiser who just wants to hurt people, whereas Peter uses metaphors and song quotes and movie references and all this stuff all the time, which makes no sense to Drax whatsoever. So seeing them talk is hilarious. And again, any of the other, you put them together and it's just a weird dynamic. So there seems to be some sort of value in seeking community with people who are different from us. Um, so, Jay, what do you think about that? Well, first of all, it just reminds me of that scene. Why will he put my finger across his throat? Yeah. Or whatever, it's like, <laughs> yeah. whatever that quote is. Like, yeah. That's awesome. Um, and hilarious, too. Uh, I think to Justin's point from the previous question, like you talked about, um, and where I was kind of going with it, is um, if I only have friends who are like me, I get told all the time that the way that I am is great, right? And I think it's almost impossible to grow if everyone around you just consistently tells you that you're, you're great. Now, I do think we need people around us to tell us that we're great, right? Like, that's, that's not a problem inherently. But if we don't see multiple viewpoints, I think we can really limit ourselves. Um, especially because, you know, I do believe in absolute truth. And Sam Wilbaum, another guest that we have all the time, will, I'm sure, argue that I'm using absolute truth <laughs> incorrectly or something. <laughs> but I do believe that there is truth, right? Uh, I do believe that, you mentioned this earlier, but I believe that Jesus Christ is truth. Um, but the application of truth is rarely black and white. And we oftentimes make it black and white. But usually it's in some shade of gray. Uh, meaning that we can have a rule, and the rule may be black and white, but how we apply the rule is usually in shades of gray, and I think community shows us how to do that a lot better because relationships are messy, and people are inherently not going to do the right thing. Um, one of the things I think that I oftentimes um, just kind of consider is that, at least in the U.S., uh, the focus on the golden rule, like do unto others as they would have you have them do unto you. I butchered that, but you know what I, you know what it is. <laughs> Selfishness destroys that, yeah. right? Like if you just focus on yourself. You will just consistently go, well, my way is better, so therefore I must either be selfish or impart my viewpoint on someone else as opposed to thinking through the way that they think through something and how that might 
impact other people. And I think that's what makes the friendships between Quill and Gamora and Drax and Rocket and Groot really awesome is because of all their differences. And they're all constantly learning from one another. And I think that they share one really important quality that I think can revolutionize our friendships. And that is that they all recognize that they're broken. Mm. Um, and, and if they didn't realize that, they wouldn't forgive Drax when he calls Ronan. Like, they wouldn't forgive Rocket when he goes insane, right? Like, they would just say, oh, you're broken and you're not like me, so please get out. Yeah. Get away from me. But they don't do that. They embrace it. So, that's what I would say. That's a good point. Justin, what do you think? Part of what you were saying reminded me a lot of pirates, where they're more like guidelines than rules. <laughs> but I was thinking with this question about um, teamwork. And... When I was in high school and college, if we had a group paper, I'd probably be the one that did it. It just, I, I'd do the group project by myself. It was easier that way. You know, we can get the grade, whatever. Okay, we're done. Um, but then when I go into something like Disneyland, I can't do Disneyland. Hmm. Justin is not powerful enough to make Disneyland happen. I need so many people <laughs> in so many different lines of business and so many different um, levels, thinking better than I do, thinking ahead, looking at uh, all this stuff. So I think that we need people that are different from us so that we can have a cohesive whole. In the Bible, there's the wonderful analogy of the body, that we need every single part of our body to run correctly, even if the brain may be more important than a foot in some ways, you still need a foot. And you know that doesn't mean the foot isn't less important or anything like that. So I just think that having people that are different than us around and in our community makes our experience more holistic, makes our pursuits more possible, and makes life more exciting. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's crazy and arrogant for us to think that we'll ever reach a point in life where we can no longer grow and no longer learn something from somebody else. Um, you haven't so, reached that point? No, not yet. Oh, okay. Not yet. <laughs> Believe it or not. Sometimes I think I have, which is part of the problem because sometimes I, I have to remind myself of this. Um, not because I think I'm so awesome, but because I don't like being out of control. I like having mm. things within my control and feeling like I can accomplish something. So sometimes it's hard for me to remind myself, no, you need to pay attention to the people around you, be willing to take criticism, be willing to look at how they do things, be willing to learn, and have the humility to recognize that you're not perfect. Mm. So in fact, I really liked, I was listening to the Doctor Strange podcast that you did with Sam. Mm-hmm. And his, you were talking about arrogance and oh, yeah. Stephen Strange's arrogance and what that looks like. And he gave a definition of humility, which I really liked. Hmm. And his definition was humility is just an accurate view of self. So is, yeah, you, there's awful. still room to recognize that you're good at something. But you also have to recognize that you're not the best. There's always room to grow. So I think that's important. And I think, too, if you don't have other people that are different from you, then, like you were saying before, Jay, that you may think that you've got everything figured out and you're being told that your way is right. right. But I think it can work the other way, too. I think we can get down on ourselves and we can think, I'm so screwed up. 
yes. and the way I'm doing everything is ridiculous and I'm worthless. But different people can help you realize that that's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. And it's funny, when I was trying to answer these questions late last night, I had community playing on in the background. Oh. And so I was watching the pilot episode of Community. And as I was working on this question, um, the end of the episode came up, which is where Jeff Winger gives his speech about community to the team. So I want to read some of it because I just thought this fits perfectly and it's really funny. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's really long and we don't need all the character references. But um, So this is Jeff Winger from the pilot episode of Community. Um, He says, all right, everybody, I want to say something. Sit down. You know what makes humans different from other animals? We're the only species on Earth that observes Shark Week. Sharks don't even observe Shark Week, but we do. For the same reason, I can pick up this pencil, tell you its name is Steve, and break it. And part of you dies just a little bit on the inside, because people can connect with anything. We can sympathize with a pencil, we can forgive a shark, and we can give Ben Affleck an Academy Award for screenwriting. People can find the good in just about anything but themselves. You are all better than you think you are. You're just designed not to believe it when you hear it from yourself. I want you to look at the person to your left. I want you to extend to that person the same compassion that you extend to sharks, pencils, and Ben Affleck. I want you to say to that person, I forgive you. You've just stopped being a study group. You've become something unstoppable. I hereby pronounce you a community. Mm. So I felt like that was really good. Mostly just funny and weird that I was watching it while I was trying to think through this, but I enjoyed it, so I kind of wanted to read that. (laughs) I like it. So our next question has to do about law and morality. So in space, we don't have our Earth laws. We don't have our Earth government. Things are gray and subjective. So my question centers around in space... um, where do law and morality sort of collide with the idea of good versus evil? Because we still have heroes and villains in this movie. So without law, what makes them good or evil? So, uh, Justin, what do you think? There are a couple ways to look at this, but the way that I'm going to go is assuming that absolute truth doesn't exist in the universe of the Guardians of the Galaxy, there it gets so gray because you're dealing with different cultures that value different things and so what is virtuous to one culture may or may not be virtuous to another so i was listening to james gunn's commentary on this film and he was talking about all this work they put into the cultures of the movies that never really make it into the movie one trivial one is just that the ravagers all of their technology is based on your sense of touch so while their ship could hum quietly smoothly like any other spacecraft it sounds a little bit more like a motorcycle because they would want to feel the rumbling of their engine and all of their screens are touch display and things like that so the tactile experience is important to the ravagers there's this whole thing about the kree empire and um uh, ronan being uh, one of the kree that they value to a religious extent power and so it is most virtuous to be most powerful and when that extends into other places like how they're having 
uh, problems with the Zandarians, Zandarians, they that would conflict very easily because they're trying to be virtuous, they're trying to be powerful, and that would be very scary to other people, and of course wars would break out and all of that. So, when there is no absolute truth, when there is no objective reality of what is good and bad, it becomes very hard. You just have to uh, support, you have to look out for yourself, which is where we find all of our characters at the beginning of the movie. They're all looking out for themselves. And then you have to look out for your family, and they start a new family together. Um, I think that their pursuits actually do show that some absolute truth exists because they are going after good things. They are being selfless, not being selfish most of the time. But just as a look at different cultures, even though these cultures don't exist, it was really fun to think how would these views of right and wrong uh, clash in the world. And even law and order, when you look at the prison, is one of the most vicious places in the entire place, not just because of the inmates, but because of the guards that should be some sort of presence for good, don't care what the inmates do to each other, and kind of encourage and enable some of the terrible things. Like, they give advice on how to kill Gamora and where, so that it's most convenient <laughs> for them to clean up later. So, Law and Order doesn't exist in a very good way in that universe, and so... And even it, that prison, that's specifically a Xandarian prison, yeah, right? Yeah, So even that's just within the culture of Xandar, specifically. Right. which I would hope that Nova Prime doesn't know exactly how everything goes there, because it seems like that is a very good place, and she seems like a very good leader. Yeah. But, um... But yeah, there is a lot of lack of good. And so we need Guardians of the Galaxy to rise up. So by the end of the movie, you're really feeling, wow, we really need these people in this place. <laughs> Jay, what do you think? Uh, so one of the really fascinating things that the movie does, I think it points out, and to your point, Justin, the, just the relativity of the different societies clashing against one another, but good, evil, law, and morality are not the same things. Yeah. Those are all different aspects of a of, of multi-sided uh, cube, if you will. Um, the characters are doing the ultimate good, right? By trying to save the universe from this, like, oppression. Yet they aren't obeying the law, and nor are they particularly moral on their, on their pursuit of doing that. Um, and I think the coolest part about the film is that it basically tells us that relationships are more important than morality. And I think... If, if we look at life that way, as they do in the movie, then there's really no point in being moral if it's not about relationships in the first place, mm. right? Um, and I think the, the characters really showcase that in a way that is, it's so easy to relate to. And I like that a lot about the film. Yeah. yeah. And to that point, I think to the Pharisees in the Bible who were the most moral people, but they're used as a negative example over and over and over because it wasn't about love. It wasn't about relationships. It's like, who cares if you're following all the rules? Right. It doesn't matter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well, you guys did exactly what I, would, I hoped you would do, which was answer this question so much better than I could. Because I wrote the question, <laughs> and I liked the question, but I had the worst time answering it. And you guys all said everything I thought of better than I could. So we're just going to move forward. Um, the next question, this is your chance 
to convince me that I'm wrong about <laughs> my biggest flaw with this movie. Uh, the villain. I think Ronan is a bad villain. Um, I think this is actually something that Marvel suffers from at large. Not all of their villains are bad. Some of them are great. Um, but some of them are bad. Thor The Dark World took a big hit. A lot of people thought that was a bad villain. And there's plenty of other examples. So I'm curious, what do you think about Ronan? Who do you think is like the worst villain in the Marvel Universe? And then, kind of more at large, like, what makes us care about a villain? Um, how should we be able to relate to it for it to be good storytelling? Um, how should we feel about that in order to really care what's going on? Um, Jay, you're a storyteller, you're a writer, so enlighten us. Well, okay, so first of all, thank you for putting storytelling in the question, because... I mean, when we called this the Story Geeks podcast, like, we're all geeks, but we care a lot about story. Yeah. Right? So that's, that's where I love questions about storytelling. It really excites me. Um, I've said this on the podcast before, but I think in this case, it bears repeating. A great villain is the hero of his or her own story. So, which is really, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no. I think a really cool example of that, to get off topic here, is... Negan on The Walking Dead. Uh, I haven't I don't know seen if you guys are caught up with no, the latest season of The Walking mm. Dead, but I think I've heard Jeffrey Dean Morgan, who plays him, say in interviews that in his mind, Negan is the hero. Negan mm. is not evil. Negan is not a villain. Yep. Negan is the hero. Yeah, and that makes that makes it so much more interesting. So I'm just reinforcing that. Well, and that's what that's what I would consider a really poor villain is one that just is doing things that are villainous just because the storyteller labeled them a villain, right? Um, that, to me, is where it doesn't work. A villain needs a reason for doing what he or she is going to do. Yeah. And, and the more compelling the reason, the more we can understand the reason, the more we're able to put ourselves in their shoes and go, um, wow, I could be that villain. If my life had gone that way, I could be that same person. And, that, and then you really get to see a villain that's like really, really strong, um, villain, and I think it's what you know. It's what George Lucas was trying to do with the prequels with and Jar Jar. <laughs> yeah, with Jar, with, yeah, with Jar Jar. Um, and I don't know that that I think that that's probably a pretty bad example of going back into a character's backstory to see how that all worked itself out. But stay tuned for our Star Wars series because you can hear us talk about that. Um, I personally would argue that Ronan isn't a terrible villain. Okay. Now, okay, I'll say, uh, let me give a couple caveats to that. Um, <laughs> he is given a purpose. It's very expository. <laughs> he basically tells us what his purpose is, um, which I think that they probably did because they just lacked time. But he, he believes that his people have been marginalized, and he's fighting back against that. And as you talked about some of the culture that he's a part of, that gives him a rationale and a reason to say, no, you're saying we're wrong, we're saying you're wrong, and now there's a clash. There's that clash, right? Now, I don't think that they develop that very much. And he's just kind of like... So he's not a great villain because they don't develop it much. Um, I think he's a kind of a one-note villain in many regards. But I would, I would throw this out there. Um, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you guys answer this question before I come back to who I think is the best villain. because Or the worst villain because I haven't thought about it enough. So we'll go around. Yeah. But... Um, I would I would say that um, the think real think about best too because we will come, we will come to that. We'll, we'll do both. Yeah. 
The real villain in this movie is not Ronan. The real villain in this movie is loneliness. And I will Ooh. leave that on the table for you to discuss as well. Justin, deal with that. <laughs> I'm just going to sit here in silence and ponder that because I know silence on podcasts is yeah. really effective. <laughs> yeah. a, it's gold. Okay. <laughs> um, so I'm going to answer the question actually really similarly that it was heavy exposition on why he was a villain. But one thing that I think is fun is that I think the movie calls out that he's not a good villain because... Thanos says, your politics bore me and you sound like a whining child. And it's like, <laughs> oh, that's fair. That's a fair assessment of what's going on. So I think the movie was a little self-aware that they had a villain that was physically powerful, but we're focusing on our guardians. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so he's not a super compelling villain to me. He is a very uh, good obstacle, um, especially when we get to, what is it, the Hayron Enforcer, you know, yeah. we get through the whole part where they break in, they get all the way to the bridge of the ship, they shoot him with the gun that kills everything and it doesn't kill him, and there's right. that oh no moment. So he's a very powerful villain, and so that part of what he brings to uh, the fight is really good, but as a character, yeah, you don't know if um, he re references, you know, my father and his father in the thousands of years. But you're not connected to him relationally. Uh, he treats people poorly. You're just like, eh, you're just a jerk. So I can't wait till you get your comeuppance. Um, and I'm going to, can I answer who my favorite is? Or do I have Let's to come go? back to that. Okay, we'll come back to it. And I'll let it circle through for the weakest villain. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here's my deal with Ronan. First of all, I feel like by putting Thanos in the movie, and especially so early in the movie, they pretty much just shoot Ronan in the foot for the sure. rest of it, because you automatically have this picture that there's something worse than what we're facing, mm. which is okay if it's more referenced later and done a little bit more appropriately, but I kind of feel like after that, Thanos was sort of left by the wayside except for a few mentions, and so we don't see enough of Ronan's struggle to kind of accomplish his own goals within this threat mm. of Thanos bathing the starways in his blood, which I kind of wanted to see. Um, <laughs> and then I also just don't... I mean, the, the stuff about the culture, the Kree culture, that kind of helps me, but I didn't get that from watching the movie, so mm. I just kind of feel like I didn't have motivation in Ronan other than he wants power, he wants to kill everything, mm. which is never much motivation to me and I've heard people Jay I know you had problems with Logan yes but one of the things I've heard a lot of talk about in Logan one of the things people seem to appreciate and I appreciated this too mm. is that there wasn't a I'm gonna destroy the world villain yeah you know what I mean yep the motivation of just destroying everything even when I was a kid I didn't understand that because exactly. I'm like well then what is there to enjoy if you're gonna destroy everything <laughs> like what's the point but, um, so I've always, for me, appreciated villains who are much more personal, a much more personal threat to mm. the hero they're facing. Mm. So, look at movies like The Dark Knight. Like, look at The Joker. Mm. The Joker is a fantastic threat to Batman because he's the antithesis of everything Batman's trying to accomplish. Yeah, I love it. Um, another one for me, this might seem a little random, but is Mission Impossible 3. So if you look at the Mission Impossible films, Ethan is always fighting terrorists and, you know, 
these people that want to kill everybody. Mm -hmm. But in Mission Impossible 3, he's basically just trying to protect his wife. Oh, yeah. And I love the simplicity of that. And I love the villain. I forget his name at the moment, but he's played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh, yeah. Um, I love that villain because, yeah, he wants to... He's evil. He's an arms dealer. He's all these different things. But at this certain point, he just wants to hurt Ethan. All he wants to do, he wants to kill Ethan's wife. And so it's so personal. It's like these two guys versus each other. So I really enjoy that. Mm. So I guess that's one of the reasons that I don't get a lot of value out of Ronan because I don't think any of that's there. Yeah, he killed Drax's family, and we see Drax's struggle with that. But it's done so comedically that that doesn't help drive the point home. Mm. So to me, when I saw Ronan, I'm just like, okay, Nebula's more interesting, but we don't get a lot of her, Mm. and I just kind of want to see Thanos. Yeah. You know? I can see that for sure. So, all right, let's go around. Um, Let's do worst Marvel villain and best Marvel villain. Okay. And Justin, you look like you're itching to go, man. I'm ready. Go for it. I I do it. it. Okay. (laughs) I'm deciding that my least favorite villain is the Mandarin from Iron Man 3. Mm. Um, Which one? (laughs) Exactly. I I can make arguments for why it's good, why the twists are fun and surprising. I... I have, you know, I still like that movie, um, but I think ultimately the final fight sequence was very unsatisfying to me because I wasn't invested in that matchup at that time really at all. And so just the Mandarin as an idea, ultimately, I thought Trevor was a better Mandarin (laughs) than the Mandarin. In the Um, trailers, he was frightening. Yeah. And uh, I love that they brought him back for one of the one-shot Blu-ray specials of... Um, I don't, have you guys seen that? There's a, there's a short special yeah. of him in prison. And it's very funny. Mm. Um, and it seemed to hopefully connect to something in the MCU in the future, but maybe not. I but, saw a video recently that said that um, originally they weren't going to have Guy Pierce's character end up being the Mandarin. It was going to be the girl, the female scientist from Tony's past. She was going to end up being the real Mandarin. But the reason they shied away from that is because they couldn't get the actress they wanted. I think they were trying to get like Emily Blunt or somebody like that to play that character, and she couldn't do it. So they have this lesser-known actress, and so they went a different direction. But yeah. that was really interesting but, to me. But then that would have tied the whole story together so much better, because yeah. she's with... Tony from the first scene in that movie. Yeah. So that idea sounds great and frustrates me that it didn't happen. So anyways, <laughs> that's my answer for my least favorite villain uh, in the MCU right now is the Mandarin. My very favorite. Are we answering that yet or are we going Go for around it. with this yeah, favorite? Is the Winter Soldier. Hmm. Um, in the second Captain America, he, I think, he is the most Darth Vader-like presence I've seen in a long time. Where he comes on screen and I just believe people are gonna die. And that sound effect they play for him, that squeal. Oh. Oh. So he had the most effective just presence I've seen um, in one of the Marvel movies. And then there's just all the emotional conflict with just it's Bucky Barnes, it's his best friend, but it's not because he's been brainwashed. And so just overall, he is, I think, the most intimidating presence that I've seen so far. And uh, even though he's so small in so many senses, it's not like Thanos where yeah. he can destroy time and reality. He's just going to 
kill individuals one at a time very effectively. Yep. Um, but then there's so much emotional connection that they built through the first movie and, you know, leading into the third uh, cap and everything like that. So, um, yeah, Winter Soldier is my favorite so far. You know, one of the things I really like about uh, Winter Soldier is that I think it gets at the issue of self-control, too. Like, if you've ever, if you've ever dealt with a self-control issue, you can relate to Bucky, hmm. right? Because he's taken over. He's taken over with something that he cannot control. Uh, I think that's cool. Anyways, that is not my answer. My answer was, uh, worst villain is the villain from Captain America Civil War, <laughs> who's really... Oh, this is going to be fun. Really? You like it? He's my favorite. Oh, no. <laughs> I just don't like that guy at all. He's he's just so... He was pulling all these strings, and he's trying to get people to do stuff, but I just felt like that movie wasn't about him at all. He was just a side deal that they just kind of had an excuse to have him. Um... My favorite villain, though, of all time, I think this is a, just a fantastic villain, is Magneto. Because Magneto... Oh, but that's outside the MCU. That's not what we're talking about oh. <laughs> Well, I will dis- I'll not play by the rules, because uh, Magneto... He's just going into the multiverse. Yeah, yeah exactly. You're being hopeful for the future when Fox <laughs> and Marvel find Right, right, right. right. It, I guess I'm just thinking Marvel in general. But, like, you understand why... Magneto wants to kill humans. Like you're like, yeah, humans are dirtbags. Like kill them, <laughs> right? Like he has a good purpose for doing it. You understand his reasoning behind it. You see how Charles Xavier's reasoning fails multiple times, and maybe the only way to solve that problem is to do what Magneto wants to do. So even though it's outside the bounds of the question, that's fine. <laughs> and I think it's the first X Men opens with the Holocaust, and yeah. so I mean, yeah. it starts his yep. character in a really raw, dark hard place that you're like shoot exactly. I, I get it exactly yeah. wow interesting okay well for the worst Marvel villain as, as much crap as I give Ronan I actually don't think he's the worst um, I would go with Yellow Jacket from Ant-Man oh yeah that's pretty because funny. I think there's just nothing interesting about him it's this this stereotypical selfish businessman yeah Plus, it suffers from the same thing that I think Iron Man 2 suffers from, which is the villain is just a slightly less interesting version of the hero. Oh, yeah. So, And I get the idea of the villain being a twisted version of the hero. Yeah. I think that's compelling. I just don't think it's done well. I agree. So I did not care about Yellow Jacket at all. I cared about Ronan more than I cared about Yellow Jacket. Yeah. I care about him so little that I'm not even sure that's the right name. Is it Yellow Jacket? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I think it's right. From henceforth, he will be known as Yellow Jacket. Yeah. <laughs> Ant-Man fan, sorry if, if I'm butchering that. I thought Paul Rudd was great. I liked the yeah. movie. I just, again, bad villain. My tiny gripe with that movie is that Edgar Wright was writing and directing it for I know. the longest time, and then he dropped out of that process. I know. No pun intended. Tiny gripe. Oh! Uh, tiny gripe. <laughs> Um, yeah, my favorite... Okay, let me clarify this first, because Winter Soldier is obviously one of the best characters in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in my opinion. He might be my favorite character, Hmm. but I wouldn't put him at favorite villain, because I think that limits him too much. Like, yes, when he first appears, he is a wonderful villainous presence. I just don't feel like that tells his whole story, because obviously he's got this arc where he's moving towards being a hero... So I kind of went with this a little bit more purist and stuck with somebody who is a villain and stays a villain. And I went with Zemo from Captain America Civil War. 
I think maybe more so just from the perspective of Marvel finally made a movie where the third act was not a city being destroyed or a bunch of people being killed or this giant CGI fest of destruction, you know? They went with a villain who had a very singular purpose and who accomplished it and who did so in a very, very calculated way. Like his motivation was clear. His execution was well thought out. And then I even love how at the end of that movie, spoiler alert, I know that's not the movie we're talking about here, but there is a podcast on that one, so you can go back and find it. But um, I love how at the end of that movie, he's done. Like, he's Mm going to kill himself because he's accomplished what he wants, and now he doesn't have anything else to live for. So he's not this picture of this giant, greedy tyrant who wants to take over the world or destroy the world. He was hurt, and he wanted to hurt somebody else. Yeah. And he did it, and so he was ready to die. But obviously Black Panther wouldn't let him do that. He took the gun and told him, you know, the living is not done with you yet. So, super dysfunctional. I'm in no way condoning (laughs) this guy's behavior. But I think that makes for a very interesting character. And and going back to what Jay said, he was the hero of his own story. He was doing the right thing based on what had happened to his family due to the actions of the Avengers. Yeah. True. You know, there's another villain that I kind of liked is um, Jeff Bridges as the villain in the first Iron Man. The oh, okay. Ironmonger. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of liked him just because he, I think he's oh, probably... Stain. Yeah, he's the best depiction of Lex Luthor on film. <laughs> <laughs> That's another discussion. Better than, oh, better than Jesse Eisenberg? Are you going to say that? Exactly. Oh, boy. <laughs> And but I'll remember, as we said, Jesse Eisenberg yeah. is not playing. Like, I agree with no, you. That's that. a whole other thing. Yeah, I Go listen to the that. Batman v Superman yeah. podcast for that discussion. <laughs> that's right. Okay, we can move on here. Jay, you talked about earlier when I mentioned storytelling. You were so happy because one of your big geekisms is storytelling. Mm-hmm. Well, my other big geekism is music, and I'm excited because I finally get to ask a question about music on the Story Geeks podcast. So obviously music, music is practically a character in Guardians of the Galaxy. It really is a character. And you can see it in the marketing, you know, um, Hooked on a Feeling, promoted this movie the whole way through. And music is a big deal um, also because it's basically how Peter still experiences his mother. Mm. So it's very important. um, And it's kind of fun to be able to get to see what the soundtrack of Peter's life looks like. So I'm curious what the soundtrack of our lives looks like. So are there songs in your guys' life that really impacted you? I know I'm probably a bigger music geek than you both are, but there's always something, you know? When you look back at your life, there's always some way that a song or some piece of music impacted it. So I'm curious what that looks like. Justin, let's start with you. Before I answer that, because it's not going to be as extensive as um, as it will be for you, I just <laughs> want to talk about the music in the movie for a second, because it is really fascinating to me. Um, one of the things, like you were saying, that sets this movie apart is its soundtrack, and it is so anachronistic to the whole movie. It doesn't fit with what we're seeing. Right. It's not space music. It's 80s and 70s pop and rock. And it is so fun. So, after, But now it does fit. It totally fits. James Gunn has changed now. our minds. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so after the opening scene that is so devastating, like you were saying, 
they have the Marvel logo after that to yeah. give you a little tiny bit of a break and let you know what kind of movie you're about to go into. Right. And you're in this space place, and then he starts playing his Walkman, and it's hilarious, and he's kicking little beings and uh, dancing all through to come and get your love. It's wonderful. <laughs> um, and a lot of people responded well to this because that album, the awesome mix, went platinum. Yeah. So it was a very well-selling thing. Something else that's interesting, because there are orchestral parts to the soundtrack, and James Gunn had some of them produced before the production of the movie, mm. because he knew what he wanted the movie to feel like. He knew what he wanted the movie to sound like. Um, and so he had some of the music to play on set while they were filming, which is not a normal way to make movies. Often, they cut the movie together, and then they give it to the um, conductor and say, okay, make this soundtrack work now. Totally. And so it was just interesting that he cut this a lot more like a music video through and through because he was working with songs that already existed and he was working with orchestration that existed before he filmed. So the music is the heart and soul of this movie in a special way. And like you were saying, uh, the awesome mix is the presence of Peter's mom throughout the movie, right. so that's special. And even that it ends with that song of Ain't No Mountain High Enough, it's, reminds me of, I think it's Romans 8, where you're just talking about the power of love, that mm -hmm. it can overcome everything, even death, and we've already been talking a little bit about that. So um, when it comes to the soundtrack of my life, <laughs> I was uh, I was raised in a pretty conservative home, so for a lot of my life, I wasn't allowed to listen to secular music. <laughs> and so um, I had, uh, the first two things that I connected with were um, an artist named Carmen, who just oh, told Carmen. stories, told stories with music. And I valued that. Listening to it now, there's some of it that just makes me wince and groan. Some of it. But uh, <laughs> it's still pretty special. Um, and then there was a rock band whose name I did not write down, but I was thinking of them earlier. I'll come back to this. I bet I could tell you. Uh, it, if you described it, I'm sure I could name it. It's like... I used to work in a Christian bookstore when I was in high school. This was my job. Nice. So we have to cut part of this out because it's just boring. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> we, uh, they were a rock band. Midnight Oil was one of their songs. Petra. Petra. That was it. Petra. Um, I had a number of their cassettes. So especially even talking about this, I remember listening to Petra and Carmen on cassette. So it feels very Peter Quill-esque. This is my childhood. <laughs> um, and then uh, another band that I just love is Reliant K. Mm. They, they are kind of, they have so many different kinds of songs that um, connected with me. And then... Um, Pretty much anything that my dad listened to. So Styx was a, a good band when I was able to listen to a little bit more of secular music. But movies and movie soundtracks have been more of my soundtrack. Yeah. Um, so the Braveheart soundtrack, I know that thing through and through. The Gladiator soundtrack, Lord of the Rings soundtrack. Movie soundtracks became my soundtrack. That was what I would listen to. Yeah. Jay? 
Uh, well, first of all, I want to say two things. One is this is the power of having someone else host because I would never come <laughs> up with this question. Um, and it's really cool. We talked about earlier like having friends that have different perspectives than you. And even though we share a lot of the same perspectives, this yeah. is an area where we get to be different. So thank you for including the question. The second thing you said was that I found really interesting is that you talked about how he was able to experience his mom through the soundtrack. And I, and I kind of realized as, as I go through mine that one of the questions is really powerful for me personally in that area as well. Um, I also love orchestral music and soundtracks. So John Williams is one of my favorite composers of all time. Um, just what he can do is outstanding. Hans Zimmer also, mm -hmm. I think, is... He, they have this amazing ability to, through the music, just make you feel... Like, you can create scenes in your head unrelated to any movie that you've actually seen just by listening to their, their music, uh, which I think is fantastic. Um, I love the song. One of my top five favorite songs is Breakdown by Jack Johnson. Mm. Um, and I think that that's just related to me... You know, life is so fast, and, I, and we live in Southern California, so life is incredibly fast. Um, and uh, Justin said, you know, his drive to Disneyland is five minutes, and it takes him 18 minutes just to walk into the park, because yeah. that's how crowded this is. That's how crowded we are. We have to park far away. And when I listen to Breakdown by Jack Johnson, it's this ache of wanting life to slow down for a minute. And a lot of times I just feel like that's just outstanding. I just want to um, grab onto that. Um, I'm a big hip-hop fan, uh, so one of the most powerful things in hip-hop, and I don't have a specific song about this particularly, but is showcasing our own hypocrisy. Um, mm. So there's a lot of themes in hip-hop where they're talking about doing things um, and then respecting things, but they're very different, and there's like this dichotomy of like, how do you, how do you live? This is how we live. Yeah. But, and, and, and so I like that about hip-hop, um, but probably my favorite song of all time and I'm going to read some of the lyrics because it just kind of sums up everything for me personally. And you mentioned Romans 8, which is the end of Romans 8, favorite passage of all time for me, um, but is In Christ Alone. Oh, yeah. Outstanding song. I would have sworn it was written like the 1800s or the 1600s. Yeah. No, it's like 10 years ago. <laughs> I know. And that was so disappointing to me, actually, because I was like, it's, it's been around for ages. No, it's been around for a decade. But... Um, I just want to read one uh, bar, or, or I guess uh, one stanza, or whatever you want to call it. I'm not, not a music guy. <laughs> um, but, no guilt in life, no fear in death, this is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. Till he returns or calls me home, here in the power of Christ I'll stand. I didn't even get emotional just reading the song lyrics, but that was what really got me through my mom's, you know, second bout with cancer where she finally passed away. But, um, you know, even if Ronin were to take over the galaxy or even if Dormammu were to push through the dark dimension into our own universe, right? Like, I feel confident that I have Jesus Christ and that no one can take that from me. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So, there's mine. My, that, my wife and I had that song play at our wedding. Oh, it's yeah. awesome. Love that song. Love that song. It's amazing. And that verse that you read is how we ended our Easter service at church mm. this year. Perfect. It was the last thing. Perfect. Because, <clears throat> yeah, it's so encouraging. And that's what music does for me. Music is a gigantic source of encouragement for me. Mm. Um, and that's one of the biggest things I turn to it for. Mm. 
um, a great example of that. There's an artist that I absolutely love. He's my favorite songwriter. His name is Andrew Peterson. And he's got a song called After the Last Tear Falls that he co-wrote with another one of my favorite songwriters named Andy Osenga. And the great thing about that song, I should have brought in some of the lyrics, but the whole idea is it lists off all of these terrible things that have happened in the world mm. and continue to happen and then says, after all of that, there is love. Mm. And it talks about how Christ is bigger than all of those things. You know, after the last tear falls, after the last siren wails, after the last marriage is broken, mm. after the last young girl's innocence is stolen. I mean, it's just a whole bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and then anything that Andrew Peterson does fits into that category for me. I mean, he's so encouraging. Um, a, you talked about In Christ Alone. You thought it was an old song. Yeah. One that is an old song and is actually my favorite song of all time is It Is Well With My Soul. Oh, yeah. I feel like same thing comes from that. It's just so encouraging. Um, Justin, you managed to be more Christian music-y in your answer than, than I did. I was impressed by that. That wasn't virtuous. It was uh, my, my parents' decision. So uh, shout out to Deb and Tracy Weaver. Hey. Um, but I mean, even outside of Christian music, there's some stuff for me too. Fix You by Coldplay. Uh. I, I'll practically cry every time I listen to that song. It's mm. just just that idea of faithfulness to somebody and that... That whole thing is so encouraging to me. Um, if I may add two things to what I'm listening to now. Uh -huh. uh, the soundtracks that I'm loving right now are written by Michael Giacchino. Oh, yeah. Um, he does a lot of the Disney stuff. He's been working with J.J. Abrams for a number of years. I love that guy. And uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda is growing on me really oh, quick right the now. The Moana soundtrack the is Moana amazing. The Moana soundtrack, I don't know how I was late <laughs> to the whole Hamilton thing, but I'm, I'm here now. So. Yeah. That's awesome. Another one that I was thinking about through all of this that was really interesting to me is um, there's a song by Van Morrison called Into the Mystic, mm. which is a classic song. To be honest, to this day, I still don't totally know what it's about. <laughs> it's very, <laughs> it is a very mystical song. Um, but I got exposed to that one through a movie mm. at, the, at the onset. So um, this will show my age, but it's a movie called Dream a Little Dream starring Corey Haim and Corey Feldman. <laughs> From the 80s. <laughs> Which all, all great movies in the 80s. Yes, all great movies started in the Corys. <laughs> right. um, but this song was in there. And since then, um, it was also, if you've seen Once, mm. the movie with Glenn Hansard, um, it's not in the movie. I don't think it is. But on the soundtrack, there's a version of it that he recorded. Mm. And it's just this beautiful song. And it really expanded my horizon of what art looked like. Like, I'd never really heard anything like that when I heard it. And I feel like that might have been kind of the impetus of what made me love acoustic music hmm. and appreciate folk songwriting and stuff like that. So I could talk about this all day, so I'm just going <laughs> to stop myself right here because this is not a songwriting <laughs> podcast. Maybe I should start one. You should start one. Hey guys, pardon my brief interruption here, but do you need a new pair of headphones? If you do, I want to tell you about our sponsor, Urban Vinyl. They make premium wood headphones that look amazing. But here's the thing, they're made by audiophiles for audiophiles, so they sound as good as they look. In fact, reviewers have called their headphones the best headphones on the market. Better even than Bose and Beats. And you know what? I agree. 
They're what I use when I record this podcast. Please consider purchasing a pair using the link in the show notes. If you click the link to their website and use the promo code J, my name, my first name, J-A-Y, super simple, you save 15% and Urban Vinyl will make a donation to the Reclamation Society. So if you need headphones or you're looking to upgrade the pair that you currently have, definitely take a look at what Urban Vinyl has to offer. Click the link in the show notes to visit their website and use my name, J-A-Y, to get the 15% discount. Thanks for letting me interrupt. Now, let's get back to the show. So let's move on to our final question, which, as we mentioned earlier, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is on the way. That's super exciting. It looks amazing. Um, So I just kind of want to talk a little bit about that, talk a little bit about what our hopes are for that movie. How do we hope to see these characters grow? What are you excited about seeing in the new movie? As much as possible. I know we haven't seen the movie, so we don't know that many spoilers. But if you think you know something that other people may not know, let's keep that to ourselves. And let's try not to be too spoilery on this discussion. But, um, Jay, what are you looking forward to most about Volume 2? Yeah, and I'll say, I told this to Daryl beforehand too, I, I have not seen anything, so if I say anything that is a spoiler, I apologize in advance, but it just came <laughs> from my head. It didn't come from any material that I saw. Um, so, I'm going to say that I'm pretty nervous about this film, oh. because I think it is so hard to do what they did over again with the intentionality and the well finely tuned way that they did it um a certain amount of that i believe is just luck Mm -hmm. um and and it's hard to it's hard to capitalize on luck multiple times so it is very very difficult and as a writer i've faced this sometimes myself is to take a character through another arc so characters go through an arc and then to say okay let's pretend that that problem is now over and that they are facing this new problem wherein their characters must grow and change that is very difficult to do, um, so I'm a little bit nervous about that, about taking the characters through those arcs. Um, I would love to see them continue on the theme of uh, bringing difficulty into friendships and bringing brokenness into friendships by having to work together. Um, and I think it would be really fascinating if they had one of the characters betray the other characters, and then they're like all forced to deal with that. Um, which I know that from the previews of the Fate of the Furious, Vin Diesel has already done that this year. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure that that'll be that'll be what happens again. Um, and the, the last thing I would say is I really hope that there's a little bit more spiritual perspective thrown into the second time, the second movie. Um, you know, how is he still dealing with his mom's passing? Where is his mom, if anywhere? <laughs> Um, obviously wondering who his dad is and how his dad will have an impact on his life. So I think that those are pretty powerful catalysts to what we might see in the second movie. But um, again, I haven't really... I've seen the trailer. That's it. Yeah. Justin, what about you? Um, I bought the Awesome Mix Volume 2 the day it came out (laughs) and have started listening to the soundtrack of the movie. And I was starting to piece together what I thought the flow of the movie would be until I realized that the Awesomic Volume 1 wasn't in the same order as the movie. So then I got all thrown off, and I have no clue what the movie's going to feel like anymore. Um, (laughs) It's currently getting 88% on Rotten Tomatoes, uh, and the original film got 91%. 
So it's right in there and I anticipate they're scrutinizing this one more than the novelty of the first one. So it gives me some hope that it's still like a good movie. Is that the I'm, critic score? That Yeah, that's the critic okay. score. Okay, because obviously the public at large hasn't even seen it yet. Right, yeah. right. Um, so you had a question earlier about how all of the characters when uh, partnered up just make a weird combination. And that's what I think I'm excited to see, some of those more weird combinations and how they play with the ongoing relationships. There's a shot in the trailer of Baby Groot on Rocket's shoulder, which is yeah. just a, a switch up <laughs> yeah. from how it was in the first movie. And I hope we get to see things like that. I'm excited to find out more about Peter's dad. I am uh, curious how they're gonna treat this because it has come out that James Gunn is going to direct the third one. Right. And so this is now going to face some of the challenges of just a middle chapter. Mm -hmm. How do you move characters and story forward in a meaningful way when it's not the ultimate end of their story? There's going to be something else. So they're going to be setting up for, you know, the next Marvel movie, the next Avengers movie. They're going to be setting up for the next Guardians movie. And so I think I'm just hopeful that this is a solid chapter and tells its own story and finishes its own story even if it is setting up for more things but i'm just excited we have thursday night tickets imax 3d i'll be there <laughs> all right yeah i'm 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 kind of in that same camp i'm hoping that it is a great movie in and of itself despite having to set up avengers infinity war and another guardians movie down the line um, that's one of the big risks of the MCU is some of the movies suffer from that. They're too utilitarian and not as good on their own. But um, I'm really excited about it. I think my biggest thing is I'm looking forward to seeing more about Quill's dad. Mm. Um, because kind of in preparation for this podcast, I went back and read some Guardians comics. Mm. Um, and I didn't read a whole lot. And to be honest, it wasn't nearly as compelling as the movie is. But... One of the best things I read was a Zero issue for the Guardians series. I don't know if it's the same one that's going now. I haven't been keeping up with it. I have no idea. But it was meant to be like a prologue to the actual comic series. And it really told the story of Peter's dad crash landing on Earth, meeting his mom, their relationship developing, them hooking up, her getting pregnant, him having to leave, and then kind of what happens after that. And it was different from the movie, from Guardians Volume 1. Because, you know, obviously in Guardians Volume 1, Peter's mom dies of cancer or something. I guess they're not totally clear on that, huh? Yeah, it looks like cancer, but who knows? Um, and so that's heartbreaking in its own way. And then Peter is taken from Earth immediately after that happens against his will. In, the, in this comic in particular, um, Peter grows up to be about the same age that he is in Guardians Volume 1. Mm. But his mom doesn't have cancer. His mom is killed when aliens come to Earth in search of either Peter's father or Peter himself. It's not clear which one. And she gets killed in the process of them invading. So she gets killed by them. Mm. Peter gets put into foster care and spends even more time on Earth. Oh. And when he finally leaves Earth, it's because he wants to. It's because he knows his father is not human He's lost his mother because of this alien thing. And he believes the truth in his life is off Earth. Interesting. And so he's just waiting until he gets old enough to find a way to get off Earth. Hmm. And he has this gun that was his father's gun that is special between the two of them in some way. Stuff that's totally missing from the movie, which I just thought was so interesting. Yeah. 
so that just kind of fuels the fire of my interest in what are they going to do in the movie for Peter's dad yeah you know what is that dynamic going to be like so I'm really excited for that I'm also excited just to kind of see the team grow like from the trailers it looks like the Guardians grow they bring more more characters into their family and I'm excited to kind of see that happen and I'm just going to throw this in there I'm afraid that it might shrink Uh, because Marvel hasn't yet pulled the trigger in a meaningful way of killing any of their characters and that's something that I am going into most of these movies uh, afraid of because if you know if they kill Thor in Ragnarok he can come back to life I don't think these characters can so but I mean, look at the themes of the first movie, the theme of loss, the theme of how that drives people together. Mm-hmm. That would be really logical for them to lose somebody from now their new family. Well, Rocket told us, too, that he doesn't have a long lifespan. That's true. He said that <laughs> yeah, in the first Yeah, he one. says it in the movie. Now, you mentioned you'd read some comics. Had you read some of the Guardians of the Galaxy comics prior to seeing this film? Never. How about you? I hadn't either, and honestly... I had I'd known that there was a raccoon. I'd heard yeah. of Rocket Raccoon. Right, right. And I think I'd heard of Drax. That was well, about it. When they said, so when they showed this, this, the posters for this film, they said, here, it's based off these comics, and literally they said, it's, there's a raccoon in it. Yeah. I was like, this is going to be the dumbest movie I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> yeah. I can't see how they can make this good. Yeah. And then here I am saying, go see it. Yeah. It's 10 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a testament to James Gunn. Brilliant guy. Absolutely. And Kevin Feige helming yeah. that whole ship. My goodness. And how exciting is it that now it seems like the Marvel Universe is mostly resting in the hands of Kevin Feige, James Gunn, and the Russo brothers. Yeah. Very, I mean, that is very a, good storytellers. Awesome. My goodness. Yeah. Um, that's all I have, guys. Was there anything else on your minds that you've been dying to say? Yeah, I don't think so. I just think it's interesting that it, I told this to my wife the, the other night. I said every movie that Zoe Saldana is in, there has to be someone with green skin. <laughs> <laughs> Star Trek, like, yeah, or or blue skin Avatar, yeah, just not yeah, yeah, right, skin. right, 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 blue skin, some tint in there. Although in The Losers, everybody has normal skin. Oh, that's she's true. great in that one. That's true. That's a good movie. Justin, anything else you want to throw out there? Um, this movie. Uh, brought us Chris Pratt, and I am forever thankful for this movie for that. Uh, fans of Parks and Rec knew him before I did, but my goodness, I love that actor. I'll watch anything he's in from now on just because he cracks me up. I really love that line where he goes, Gamora, and she's like, no. He's like, subtle. <laughs> I'll take it back. Take it back. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, okay, I think that wraps it up, guys. Thanks for joining me today. Hey, thank you, Daryl. And... Um, let me just say, make sure you go back and check out all of the other awesome podcasts that the Reclamation Society and the Story Geeks have put out. Man, almost any superhero movie you can think of at this point we've tackled. Doctor Strange, almost any Batman movie. I mean, there's like, there's so <laughs> yeah. many more Batman movies we could do. But that's true, that's true. We hit all the best ones, I think. Um, Man of Steel, everything. And then there's also some great podcasts on things other than movies, um, on comics as well on um, Old Man Logan, on The Sheriff of Babylon. Mm -hmm. And I know we're talking about doing some more of those in the future. So go check out the rest of the podcasts, and thank you for listening to this one. We'll see you next time. 
Special thanks to Daryl Smith, who led our discussion today. Fantastic questions. And to Justin Weaver, who adds a great perspective to these films. What do you think? Let us know. Write us an email at hi at reclamationsociety.org or check out our discussion board and community on mz.com. Our email and the link to the MZ group are both in the show notes. Next week, we are jumping right back into our Star Wars series, so go hit the subscribe button right now. You do not want to miss it. And if you have an extra minute, while you're there, write us a review wherever you listen to this podcast. That's it for this show. As always, question everything in your favorite stories and always seek the truth.